I think you already have done. <laughs> Find a seat. It's great to uh, be here this morning. Victoria Day weekend, but uh, it's always good to come together as God's church and celebrate. If you're visiting us, uh, especially warm welcome to you if you're here for the first time. Hopefully you're enjoying your time with us, but more than that, we just pray that you meet with God and uh, that you hear from Him this morning, either through the worship, through the preached word. Um, so hopefully that will happen. Um, my name is Mark. I'm one of the leaders here, Mark Rushworth, and uh, we, when I've been preaching, I've been preaching through the Gospel of Mark over the last few months, really, and we have only really got to chapter four. This could be a long series. Um, we'll see. But uh, there's lots, of, lots in Mark's gospel and lots that we want to draw out, lots that we want to uh, see what God is speaking to us about. So what's been happening so far, uh, if you want to find this passage in your Bible, feel free, Mark chapter 4. Um, but Jesus has been teaching a large crowd who've been gathered um, uh, by the side of the lake. And there's so many people there, really. Jesus has said, look, let's, let's just get on a boat. And he, get, he pushes out from shore and uh, he gets on the boat to teach and he teaches pretty much all day. And in the evening, he's just exhausted, clearly. And, uh, and he, uh, he says, okay, well, you know, I guess he's got the option of going back on the shore. Um, but if he goes back on the shore, all the people are there and they're all wanting him to heal them and deliver them. So he decides, well, I'm not going to do that. So let's read, shall we? And uh, we'll read from verse 35 through to verse 41 of Mark chapter 4. Um, it says this, That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side, on the other side of the, of the lake, or the, the Sea of Galilee, really, is what it was. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was, in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, uh, so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. All right, so Jesus goes over to the other side of the lake, to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Um, and uh, this is a big lake. This isn't a small little lake. I guess we're, we're used to big lakes in Canada. We've got some big lakes in Canada. So um, normally, if, I, if I'm from England, you might be able to tell from the accent. Uh, if I say the other side of the lake, people think, oh, yeah, it's just a few yards over the other side of the lake. No, these are big lakes, like Canadian lakes. Um, actually, maybe not quite as big. It's about 20 kilometers to cross the lake, so quite a distance to get across the lake. And uh, so Jesus is exhausted. He, uh, he gets his head down. It says on a cushion, I think. Um, really, it, wasn't a, it was a wooden headrest. That's a, probably a better translation for it. In the stern of a boat. And he falls asleep. <clears throat> and suddenly, um, this huge squall blows up. And, and that was pretty common in the area around the Sea of Galilee. The lake is actually 700 feet below sea level, and then there's some really high mountains around it, so you get all the cold air mixing with the warm air. These big storms come up, 
a bit like hurricanes, really, um, but very localized. And that's what happens here uh, on the lake when Jesus and the disciples are in the boat. Now, the boat is filled with experienced sailors, but they're increasingly struggling to get the waves uh, out of the boat. The water's coming in. They're just in danger of being swamped and the boat sinking. So, a little break, a little pop quiz. That passage, that story of Jesus asleep in the boat, the disciples struggling against the storm, that should remind some of us about an Old Testament story. So I'm going to ask the children or teenagers to start off with. Anyone think, oh, that's like another story in the Old Testament? Anyone want to shout it out? Jonah, who was that? That, that didn't sound like a child's voice. <laughs> Dave McLeod, very good. Yeah, but we would have been sitting here for a while, so. Um, Jonah, Jonah is, you remember the story of Jonah? Jonah gets on a boat and he falls asleep on a headrest in the stern of the boat. You can look it up in the book of Jonah. And uh, the squall comes up and the, the experienced seamen are panicking and they're thinking, how are we going to survive this storm? They think they're going to die as well. It's almost the same story, apart from Jonah is running away from God's purposes, and Jesus is actually running towards God's purposes. He's going into what he's heading into. So we're going to revisit that parallel with Jonah a little later on, but I just thought I'd, uh, I'd, I'd help you figure out there's a, there's a connection here, right here, with Jonah and Jesus in the boat. And Jesus makes a connection between himself and Jonah as well um, in, in the New Testament when he's teaching. So the storm's raging. The disciples are beginning to panic. Now, they would have known these waters. Like, they were, they were experienced. They were on Lake Galilee the whole time. They would have been in storms before, um, which means that when things were getting, like, really super serious, they would have known exactly how serious things were getting. They would have known just how likely it was the boat was going to sink because they knew when a storm was like, oh, this is, we can handle this, and when this is like, no, this is a really bad storm. I don't know if I've ever told you this story before. I pr I, Debbie tells me I tell this story all the time, so you'll, you're bound to have heard it before. But anyway, I, I once had um, flying lessons. I may have told you this a few months ago, but I once had some flying lessons, and um, I was 17 years old. It's not a good age to do flying lessons. You're not really. I couldn't even drive a car. And, um, and, and the instructor told me I had to do, learn how to do stalls, and so he modeled it for me, and he took me up, sort of climbing really steep, not much power, and it, and it suddenly stalls and falls. And uh, he said, what you've got to do in, when it stalls is you've got to push the, the stick forward. I don't know what the word for it is, stick uh, forward. And, uh, and then you full throttle and off you go. And he modeled it, and it was fine. And then I decided to have a go. Now, I'm, I'm kind of getting quite nervous at this point, you know, because the, 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 we're in a plane, and I'm driving, I'm like flying it. And, uh, and, and it's, and we're going, climbing up. And then suddenly the store warner goes off, woo, woo. I'm like, oh, okay. And then it stalls, and it's silent. And it starts to just fall. And, uh, and so I'm like, okay, what do I do? What do I do? Stick forward, full throttle. So I ram the stick forward, full throttle. Now, what the instructor didn't tell me was just level it out. Level it out. Um, I just rammed the whole stick forward, which, of course, sent it diving down. <laughs> nose first towards the ground and then I'm like full throttle so we're like going as fast as we can <laughs> heading towards the ground 
At which point, like, the G-force kicks in, like, whoa! <laughs> like, it's all, it's all happening. Now, I wasn't overly panicked at that point, because I just thought, oh, OK, well, I've got an instructor next to me. When I panicked was when I saw the reaction of the instructor, <laughs> who was, like, swearing big time <laughs> and, like, wrestling with these controls, this dual control. And he's like, and I'm thinking, well, come on, then, pull us out of it, because <laughs> my hands are off at this point. <laughs> and uh, he's, oh, honestly, he, the, the air was blue uh, in more ways than one. And uh, <laughs> he pulled us out, finally. And he's still swearing away at me. What are you doing? And I'm like, well, you said stick for It's not that. Anyway. <laughs> and I looked out, and I'm like, whoo, we are close to the ground. <laughs> like, we were really close to the ground. And he said, man, he said, you took us into a spiraling dive, I think he called it. He said, people don't come out of those sometimes. <laughs> he said, it's just impossible to sometimes get out of those. And he got us out. So. You know, something that you can think, oh, this is a storm, but it's not too bad. If you're experienced, you know how bad it is. He knew how bad that was. The, the, the disciples knew how bad this storm was getting. And uh, because this was an area of life that they were experts in. It was kind of under their control. They had it under control apart from they didn't. So there was panic. And, and in, in this panic, they start shouting at Jesus. And they wake him up and they say, Jesus, don't you care? If we drown, don't you care if we drown? Because, of course, when you are experienced sailors, the very thing that you need in the middle of a storm that you can't handle is a carpenter. Um, uh, <laughs> actually, they say a teacher. Either one of those, probably not a lot of good. You know, I, I'm not going to be a lot of good in a storm. I'm not sure that they thought Jesus was going to do much about it, actually. I don't pick up that Jesus, they were saying, Jesus, you're the one who can do something about this storm. I just, because, because when he did do something about it, it says they were shocked and terrified. Like they weren't really expecting it. I think what bothered them was he was sleeping. He was, he was just asleep in the middle of this storm. He, he wasn't even helping them bail out. Uh, you know, one extra hand, or two extra hands, bailing out. <laughs> The, the issue wasn't, do something about it, Jesus. The issue was, Jesus, don't you care? Don't you care? And that can be just like it is for us when the storms of life come. We might be saying, Jesus, don't you care? Don't you care? Are you oblivious to my suffering God? Are you oblivious to the situation we're in? There's these storms of life going on, whatever it might be, and it just seems, God, as though you are asleep. It just seems like you're asleep. And, and we're out of control here, and we're powerless here, and it seems like you don't care. And we, and we can get more concerned about whether God cares than actually really believing God's going to be able to do something about it. Those of us who are going through the Bible project right now will, will know that we're up to the book of Job, if, you, if you're keeping up to uh, date with it. We're up to the book of Job. And the video there, which I think came yesterday or the day before, and certainly in the last day or so, um, explains so well um, that, that God doesn't explain to Job why there's so much suffering in the world, why there's so many bad things happening, why bad things happen to good people, all the questions that we might have. This is a long book of the Bible, and God 
doesn't answer that question. Actually, what God says in that book is, you can trust in me. Trust in God in the middle of all the suffering of life. You don't have to answer the question of why. And uh, we want to know, don't we often, does God care? Does God care? Of course, Jesus did care about the disciples, even though he was asleep. Yes, he's exhausted. But he, he's able to sleep in the boat because he has faith and he trusts in his Father, in his heavenly Father. And so he knows that he's safe and secure. Um, Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 24 says, The Lord Almighty has sworn, surely as I have planned, so it will be. As I have purposed, so it will happen. So God's got a purpose. God's got a purpose for Jesus. God's got a purpose for us if we know him as well. And, and it's like, well, who can thwart him? If God's got plans and purposes, they're going to come about. So Jesus knew he had a purpose from God. He actually knew that he, his purpose was on earth was to die. But he knew it wasn't to die in a boat. And so he could have peace. He could be at peace. He knew God was with him. It's like in this, uh, the passage that we looked at last week. It talks about the man scattering seed on the ground in, in chapter 4, verse 26. And it says, the man scatters seed. And then it says, night or day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows. And he doesn't really know how. I mean, he can't do anything about that. If he was panicking about the seed, if he was like, oh, no, there's a frost coming. And I need to make sure that I protect this seed, and I need to make sure, oh, man, how can I? But there's lots of seeds, so what am I going to do? And he's up all night worrying about it and panicking about it. He's not going to sleep. You can sleep if you can find a peace in God, even in the midst of storms, even in the midst of difficult times of your life. If you know that God is for you, if God's got plans and purposes for you, actually, when we know that, we, we, can, we can sleep. We might have a lot of things bothering us in our life, but we, we, we look to find a place of trusting in God and his purposes, even if we don't know all the details, even if we don't know how everything's going to pan out and come about. So what happens? Jesus wakes up, well, he gets woken up, and he rebukes the wind and the waves. He, he, uh, he rebukes them. He basically just says, um, quiet, be still. Now, if Jesus were just a carpenter, or if he were just a teacher, which is what they call him, he's not going to be able to stop the wind and the waves, because only God can control the waves. And people in those days knew that, that the sea and the, and the, and the waves were all symbols of like the chaos and destruction of the world, and, uh, and which is why in Revelation, by the way, it says, and there will be no more sea in the future. If you ever read that bit in Revelation where it says, oh, this, all these things will happen and there will be no more sea. You go, well, what's up with the sea? I quite like the sea. Well, the sea is all the chaos and the evil and the destruction that are going on. And so only God has got the power to control those. Only God can control the waves. How many people, I don't know if this is a, uh, this will translate if you know this story. How many of you have heard of the king of England called King Canute. Is that, uh, is that someone who, all oh, the English people, oh, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let me educate you in the kings of England. Viking king, uh, in a, around the 11th century, King Canute was the king of England. 
And uh, there's a story that gets told about him. And most people, if you talk to uh, people who have heard of King Canute, they will have heard the story. And the, the, the story has got twisted a little. Most people have heard the story and they think King Canute was this arrogant king who decided that he was so powerful that he could go and he could stop the tide coming in. And he, gone, he went and set his throne out on the beach, on the shore, and he stood there and he commanded the, the uh, waves to stop and to not come in. And of course, the waves came in and they, and they uh, swamped him. Well, he didn't drown, but he, he didn't stop the waves, clearly. That's the story most people have heard about King Canute. But that wasn't actually what happened. This is a proper king. He was a real king of, uh, of England. What actually the truth is that he was a king who loved and trusted in God. And his courtiers, all his uh, entourage, all said to him, Oh, King Canute, you are so powerful. And they, they're like flattering him and said, Even the wind and the waves, everything uh, is, is at your command. You can command all of these things. And, uh, and in the end, he got so frustrated with them, he, he said, look, no, that's not true. He said, I'll show you it's not true. And he took his uh, throne down on the shore, and he said, and then when the tide began to rise, he spoke to the rising sea. And this is what he said. He said, okay, see, you are part of my dominion, and the ground I am seated on is mine, and nor has anyone disobeyed my orders with impunity. Therefore, I, obey, I order you not to rise onto my land, nor to wet the clothes or body of your Lord. And obviously, the sea carried on rising, and as usual, and uh, didn't respect who he was at all, that he was a king, soaked his feet, soaked his legs. And he says, and then he moved away, and he said this, all the inhabitants of the world should know that the power of kings is in vain and trivial, and that none worthy of the name of king but none is worthy of the name of king, but he who com whose commands the heavens, earth, and seas, and they obey his eternal laws. And it says, therefore, after that, King Canute never put a crown on his head, but he put uh, a picture, he put a crown above the picture of the Lord Jesus nailed on the cross um, instead in his throne room. So, King Canute was someone who realized that even though he had earthly powers, he did not have the power over the sea and over the waves. Because only God has power over the sea. Only God has power over creation. As people, we can control a lot of things, but we cannot control the weather. We cannot control the effects of the weather. Only God can. But Jesus, in a very similar manner to King Canute, stood up and he rebuked the wind and the waves saying, be quiet, be still, and the wind died down, and the water was completely calm, which actually wouldn't even happen if the wind had stopped. The, water, the, the waves would have carried on going. He had the power to do it, because, of course, he is God. He is God. And after Jesus rebukes the wind and the waves, he turns to his disciples, and he says, why were you so afraid? Why were you so afraid? Do you have no faith still? Do you still have no faith? Now, if you were, Jesus, if you were the disciples at that point, you'd probably think that was a little harsh from Jesus. Like, we've just been in the middle of this storm, Jesus. We're about to die, Jesus. And you're saying, why were you so afraid? 
Why are you so afraid? Why do you have no faith still? But actually, his disciples could not find faith in the middle of this storm. Because waking Jesus and shouting at him wasn't faith. That was panic. That wasn't faith. And they couldn't find faith in the middle of his, this storm. And isn't it true that it's in familiar circumstances, the familiar things in life, the things where we find, think that we're in control, that we actually find faith hardest to find. And it's often when we get knocked by things in life, we get knocked by the everyday crises, by the everyday things of life, the areas of life where we feel we have under our control. And that's where we live most of the time. We live in our comfort zones. We talk about our comfort zones, don't we? Sometimes we get forced out of our comfort zone. Sometimes we get asked to do things or forced into doing something, and we know it's coming. Like if we have a work and someone says, oh, now we want you to do this big presentation to the board. You're like, oh, I don't want to do that. Oh. And so that's when we go and we go to our life group and we say, oh, can you pray for me because I really need God in this situation because I've got to do this big presentation. That's totally out of my comfort zone. I can't do it. I know I can't do it. I need God. That's when we go to God. But on the everyday things of life, 95% of the time, 99% of the time, actually we don't ask God for help. We don't look to God because we don't feel we need to look to God because we feel we can do it ourselves because that's in our comfort zone. So we can handle it. We can rely on it. The disciples have been out of their comfort zones with Jesus a lot. They've been in places where demons are cast out and they're seeing healings and they're seeing all these crowds and they're hearing all this stuff and they're like, wow, we have got no sweet clue what is going on here. We've got no context for this. We're way out of our comfort zone. And then Jesus says, let's get in a boat and they go, Whew, now we're back in our comfort zone. Now we know what we're doing. Let's go over to the other side of the, of the lake. Oh, no problem, Jesus. You go and fall asleep. We can handle this one because they're in their comfort zone. But they're not. But they're not. And that's where the panic comes and that's where they can't find faith because it doesn't help them to turn to God. They've not ever turned to God in that situation before because that's what they try and do. And so things start to get out of control, but they don't think, oh, we can't handle this. They think, oh, well, we're experienced sailors. We should be able to handle this. And then they get more and more out of control. And they're like, oh, maybe we need to start bailing the boat out. And so, things, but the waves are getting bigger and bigger. And like, oh, no, this isn't. But I think we still can handle this, guys. Come on, there's a few of us. So they... and all the way along, they're still trying to handle things themselves until it gets to the point where they just think, I am totally overwhelmed now. We're totally overwhelmed now. Look at Jesus. He doesn't even care. That's what we can do in our lives. We just try and try and try and we can handle this. We can handle this. We can handle this. We don't go to God. We don't find faith in those situations. Because we've not learned to trust Jesus in those situations. And one thing we can all be sure of is that trouble will come in our lives. Troubles will come. They are going to affect our lives. And they'll come in the everyday things. They'll come in the areas that we feel we've got a handle on. 
and they'll come up as suddenly as the squall came upon the disciples. Maybe it will be health problems which suddenly come up. Might be financial issues, might be redundancy, might be uh, family problems. It could be any number of things in our lives. But whatever it is, we'll suddenly realize we're out of control. Well, actually, maybe we won't even suddenly realize. Maybe we'll still try and carry on as we could without Jesus until we get to the point of just thinking, we're totally overwhelmed now. We're totally overwhelmed now. The Bible never promises us an easy, problem-free existence. And when troubles come, and when these things come in our lives, and often it's more than one because we start to get overwhelmed. This is, we can handle this, but now it's this as well, and now it's this as well, and oh, now the kids are sick, and oh no, now this has happened with my job, and it's all, the, it's all coming at once. And we can think, hang on, what's going on? Have we got something wrong in our lives? Have, have, we, have we messed up? Have we gone away from God? No, it's just what happens in life. Troubles come. And the question is, how do we handle it when those troubles come? How do we handle it when we get overwhelmed? Do we still try and do it ourselves? Do we just turn to God and say, God, don't you care? Actually, not really even believing that he's going to do anything about it. But we just get angry with God. Where is God? God seems like he's asleep. Jesus said to the disciples, do you still have no faith? Well, what's the implication of that? Do you still have no faith? The implication is that things that have already happened in their lives should have helped them build faith. He's like, well, you've been with me for quite a while and you still have no faith? Because you've seen some stuff. You've been around me. You've seen the power of God at work. I've taught you some things. In the good times, in the times when you weren't out on the boat and out of control, but you still have no faith. I mean, they're his disciples. That means learners, students. They should be learning through the things that are happening to them, but they haven't learned. And similarly, Jesus wants us to grow in our faith. Jesus has given us a measure of faith. If we've come to know him, we've got a measure of faith. We've got some faith. But we saw last week that Jesus said, well, whatever measure you use, it will be measured to you and you'll be given more. So as we walk in the faith that God gives us, he'll give us more faith. But faith is always going to be tested. James chapter 1 verse 2 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Most people don't do that. <laughs> Man, this is all difficult. I'm considering, how are you feeling about that? It's pure joy. <laughs> James, what are you talking about? Consider it pure joy. I mean, it just messes with your head, the Bible sometimes, doesn't it? Like, what? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And he says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. James is saying, there's an end goal to this. This suffering that you're going through, these trials and uh, these tests and all kind of different things that are going on in your life, actually, they're working in you. They're working in you to make you something. They're working in you to make you mature and complete. God's at work in you. It says, let perseverance finish its work. What does that mean? 
It means actually God might not take away that suffering until it's the right time. Don't just be like, God, take it away, take it away. Actually, faith can sometimes mean faith to go through the difficulties, faith to go through the trial, faith to go through the sufferings. And try and get to the point, and it's, I mean, you, I'm not saying, it's a, it's a mindset, isn't it? Consider it pure joy. I can't even get my head around that myself. <laughs> but that's what Jesus says, that's what the Bible says. Okay, somehow we're going to get to the point where we consider it pure joy. God's at work. We don't always understand God. I'm not, I, I can't stand here this morning and say, come on, you just tell yourself to be joyful. But there's something that God is doing. There's something that God is doing in us through our difficulties and through our trials. And he's at work. It's not that he doesn't care. And we're tested in our faith. Our faith is always tested. Students are tested on what they've learned. Some of you will have been doing tests and exams already. We're tested on what we've learned. But the problem is the disciples, they've lost their bearings. They've lost sight of things. They're focusing just on what is happening right now. They've, they've actually forgotten what's happened in the past. They're not even thinking about what's gone on in the past. And they're not thinking about what's gone on in the future. See, the disciples have seen lots of miracles before. As I said, they, they've forgotten about the past. But they've also forgotten that they've got a future. They've got a future with Jesus. Jesus said, let's go over to the other side, even just him saying that. He's got a plan. They're going to get to the other side. He's just spoken about uh, the small thing of the kingdom of God that they're involved in. And he said, the kingdom of God starts small like a seed, like a mustard seed. It's going to get bigger. It's not going to end on a lake. A few minutes later, they've forgotten that there's, in a sense, there's unfulfilled prophecy over them. There's a future that these men have got over them. Unfulfilled prophecy. There was a story of a Christ, uh, two Christians in a plane, and, uh, and they were going through a lot of turbulence, and it was getting pretty bad, pretty rough. And one of them said to the other one, just to try and get a bit of comfort out of things, he said, oh, he said, I just want to check with you. Have you got any unfulfilled prophecy over you in your life? Because he's thinking, if he's got unfulfilled prophecy, we're going to be okay. And the guy said, yeah, well, I've just got one. Um, he said, oh, what's that? Well, I'm going to die in a plane crash. <laughs> I don't think that was true. <laughs> but when we hit problems, we do need to remember that we have been chosen by God for a purpose. It's not just random. It's, it's like we have got a purpose. We have got a future. Now, that doesn't mean that we on, a, on this earth are not going to get to the end of our life sooner than we think. Well, who knows? We might. But even then, we've still got a purpose. We've still got a future with God. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 says, We ought to always thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you as firstfruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel, that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word or mouth or by letter. So Paul's encouraging the Thessalonians to stand firm and to hold on to the truth. Don't get swayed. Don't get rocked and, and shaken about this way and that. He say, and how does he do that? He says, look, you've got a future. You've got a future. God has called you to something. 
God has called you to something through Jesus, through the gospel, and you've got an eternity sharing in the glory of Jesus Christ. There's a future that is laid out for us. And we've been called and we've been chosen to share in his glory. So we're able to press on and persevere in faith no matter what trials may come. If we remember, okay, Jesus is for us. He's not fallen asleep. We've seen him at work. I mean, we all know that God's for us because he's proved it in the past. If you've known God for any length of time, you will know, have stories of your own in your life where God has shown you that he cares for you, where he's shown you that he's faithful, where he's shown you that he is with you. But we can also look back as a church and see that as well because we can get confused about what God's doing as a church. And so some of us here have lived through a number of years as part of Christ Central Church. And it's good for you to remember the stories, remember where you've been, remember stories of faith, of difficulties, of times, but if you, of times where God has been faithful and come through. But if you're fairly new to the church, like we've only been here a year or so, some of you maybe even less than that, find out the stories of what God has been doing in this church. You know, 20 years ago, here's one, 20 years ago, Christ Central Church, I don't think it was called that at the time, but this church was on the point of closing down. There was just a small number of people. Um, it was difficult. There were, you know, it was like, are we, are we really going to see anything come out of this church? And then they ran an alpha course and they said, if there's, if there's no one saved on this alpha course, if no one comes through, we're going to shut the church down. We're just going to call it a day. And Kelly got saved on that alpha course. Kelly Curtis. And, and so the, the, the leaders of the church said, well, now we've got a baby to look after. <laughs> we can't just dump her. We can't just go, oh, great. <laughs> it's great that you're saved. See you later. We're shutting down. So that was the reason the church continued at that point. A handful of people, just a handful of people. We've got a baby to look after. And then you look, and then you see these passages about a tiny seed, a tiny baby, tiny seed in Kelly. But what's happened in those years? Just, in, just even in, in, in Kelly and her, in, in Kelly herself, God's done a work in her and her family. But also in the church. You know, how many things have come about in the church through Kelly's involvement? Street level, still going on, sandwich run. People, you talk to people in, in the city I tell you what, I, I, I tell people, if, if I meet people, they say, oh, what church are you from? I'll say, oh, Christ Central Church. And they'll go, oh. And then they'll go, oh, Kelly's church. <laughs> That's where Kelly goes. Honestly, I get more people saying, <laughs> I get more people knowing that Kelly's part of our church than anyone else. Because that speaks a lot about what has happened. You know, even this Thursday on Alpha, again, on Alpha, there's a group of us there, but Kelly's praying with someone. Someone comes to salvation. New life comes. 20 years on, it's another new baby. Another new baby. God's at work. And we, and we can look back and we can see, wow, God's been at work all these years. That's not, that's not about Kelly. That's about God. That's about God at work. You know, we can hear about how the church grew. Oh, we've got this building that God provided at 487 Brunswick Street, but 
hey, we're getting too big for it. What should we do? Okay, I think we need to move. We need to move buildings. We're going we're gonna to go to UMB. Big step of faith. We're going to go to UMB and meet there. The very week, just before they were about to go there, that's when the flood happened, 2008. The whole of the building we're meeting is flooded. But no, God's taken us somewhere else. So we can still meet because we booked UMB. And we're at UMB from the very next week. We can hear about how God's miraculously provided uh, that building, the land that we own on Limerick Road. Uh, Limerick Road. There's other, pla- other things that God's done. There's lots of stories. I guess what I'm saying is, Find out the stories. Ask people who've been around. Ask people like Joe and Gary and Bob and Kelly uh, and uh, Nancy and others. Others who've been around for all those years. What are some of the stories? Gail and Wilf. What are the stories? What's God done? It'll encourage us and stir us in our faith. Because it helps us when we're struggling. It helps us when we look at the church and go, what's God doing in the church right now? It's hard to see what God's doing at the moment. It's always hard to see what God's doing in the moment. And, and we go through tough times as individuals, and we go through tough times as a church. But God's at work. God's at work. We need to remember that the storms in our lives are for great purposes. They're for God's purposes. You know, nature in and of itself, if you don't believe in God and you just say, oh, it's all mother nature and all this, nature's indifferent to us. Nature doesn't care. God cares. God uses life's storms for his glory so that we might persevere and press on in faith and have our characters shaped by him. And we have a future. We have specific promises over us as individuals, as a church. And we've got an eternal future with God. And it's those things which help us hold on to God in faith when the storms come. See, when the storm was going on, the disciples were scared. But after Jesus had calmed the storm, it says they were terrified. They were terrified. They were like, who is this? Who is this? Even the winds and waves obey him. Well, that's the question that comes up again and again and again in Mark's gospel. Who is Jesus? Who is this man? Well, more and more, we're seeing the clear answer is he is God. He's God. And that's what we need to bring ourselves back to. Because we need to think, well, who are we trusting in? What are we trusting in? Or who are we trusting in? Well, we're trusting in Jesus. We're trusting in a who. We're not trusting in a what. We can get confused with that sometimes. We can think, oh, have you got faith for this thing? Have you got faith that we're going to get across the lake today? Have you got faith that we're going to get a new building that we can meet in as a church? Have we got faith? Have you got faith that you're going to get married? Have you got faith that you're going to have children? Have you got faith that you're going to get a job? Actually, that's not what we've got faith in. We don't put faith in those. The question is, have we got faith in Jesus? Because our faith is always rooted in a person not in a thing. It's not the thing that we're struggling with. Our faith is in Jesus. Do we have faith in Jesus? And they are very, very different things. Because our faith is in Jesus, who has already calmed the greatest storm that we could ever face. He's already calmed the only storm 
that had the potential to destroy us for the whole of eternity. He's calmed the storm of our sin and the destruction that came with it. And in the same way that Jonah said to the sailors, do you remember the story of Jonah? He said to the sailors, throw me overboard and the storm will stop and you will be saved. That's what he said. In the same way, Jesus himself was cast overboard, but he cast himself into the turmoil in order to save us. In Matthew 12, 41, Jesus was speaking about himself and he said, one greater than Jonah is here now. And what he meant was, one day, I'm going to calm all the storms. I'm going to still all the waves. I'm going to destroy destruction. I'm going to break brokenness. I'm going to kill death. How? Because on the cross, he was willingly thrown into the ultimate storm under the ultimate waves of our sin and death. That storm of eternal justice for what we owe for our wrongdoing. And that, that storm wasn't calmed until he was swept away in it. But yet, he was raised again in the same way that Jonah was saved. He was raised back to life three days later, showing that he had defeated those storms. And if we see that, if we see what Jesus has done in, those, in that ultimate storm, we won't look and say, Jesus, don't you care? Don't you care about what we're going through? He's shown he cares. He's already shown he cares. He didn't abandon us during that storm. So why would he abandon us in the smaller storms of our life? And someday he's going to return. And when he does, he'll still all storms for eternity. There'll be no more sea. That's what it means. They'll be done. They'll be done. Brothers and sisters, we put our faith in Jesus. Life's tough. Life's tough. There's tough things go on for each one of us. Storms that no one else even knows about outside of God. But don't, don't allow yourself to think, Jesus, don't you care? He cares. He cares. He's God. He's our Savior. He's our Deliverer. He's our hope. He is our salvation. Let's pray. If the band want to come up, I'll hand you over to Joe in a minute. But let's just, let's just pray together. Why don't we stand together? I'll just pray. Father God, Lord, th these are things that are hard for us to get our heads around because, Lord, we, we so often just rely on ourselves. We so often just rely on our own ability to get through life. We think we can cope. We think we can handle things. We think that we don't need you. But, God, we need you. We need you for everything, Lord. And we know that these storms of life are going to come. And in a sense, you're not going to take them away from us in this moment because, because you're using them for our good. And you're using them to change us and to mature us. And God, we, we, we want to confess we don't always like that process. 
And Lord, it's, it's not the way we would choose to do it. We would choose to have it easy. We would choose to just be able to stay in control. But, oh God, I, I pray that we would, we would be transformed by your gospel, by your spirit within us, Lord. You would change our mindset. You would change the way we think about things. Lord, we wrestle with things like saying, consider it pure joy when you face trials of every kind. Lord, we wrestle with that. But Lord, help us to do that. Help us to consider it pure joy because we know you're at work in us. Lord, give us hope in you. Give us faith in you. Give us strength to carry on, Lord. Lord, that we may put our trust and our hope completely and utterly in you and on nothing else. Lord, we, we acknowledge our total dependence on you this, this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Mark.